everybody. Welcome again to F This Movie, the official podcast of FThisMovie.com. Movie love for movie lovers. My name is Patrick Bromley, and I'm very excited for this week's show because I am joined for this discussion of John Singleton's higher learning by the most collegiate man I know, Mr. Adam Risky. I had a pretty good GPA. <laughs> we are currently enjoying... My GPA. Peppermints. Peppermints. <laughs> in honor. Big time podcast star. In honor of this movie and in honor of uh, John Singleton. May he rest in peace. Yes. This was a show that we had talked about doing before he had passed away. Yeah. We were talking about doing this show at some point last year. Yeah. And I know I got a little worried about doing this show last year because not that things have really calmed down but nope. things were especially yeah kind of politically charged last year and yeah yeah i mean there's I, i'm gonna be you know opinionated in this show because how could you not be with the topics that are involved in this movie but it was a show that i i mean like i've, I've been kind of gun shy to do yeah no pun intended but he passed away sadly yeah. tragically and we felt like it was time to do a show on higher learning and and honor uh john singleton who is one of your guys i think so yeah yeah i actually literally wrote down that note he's one of my guys directors there you go he's like uh there's a lot of directors where you know you have it i i don't i don't feel about john singleton maybe as closely as you do with toby hooper but there's certain directors like with spielberg or tarantino it doesn't feel as personal maybe because everybody loves he's everybody's right 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 but like with singleton or with like frank darabon or sofia coppola i have like just kind of an attachment to them because Mm -hmm. i don't think that they're universally loved so they definitely feel like my guys the same way that toadies feels like my band (laughs) um so we're gonna be talking about higher learning in just a little bit but first adam risky yeah have you seen anything good lately uh, I've seen a mixed assortment of right. stuff. Um, right. So we saw John Wick, Chapter Three, Parabellum. That is the full title. There we go. I wish they had just gone with John Wick Chapter Three. Yeah, me too. I'm all about chapters. Yeah, because like John Wick Chapter Two wasn't exactly. John Wick Chapter Two, and then something else. Right, but Ruby Rose. Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, John it, Wick it, Chapter Two. If that's Ruby the biggest Rose. problem of the movie, then you know. <laughs> um, but uh, yeah, Ruby Rose. She looked like Jack in Titanic. Yeah, she did. Yeah, she totally did. <laughs> and Rob was into it. Uh, <laughs> I can't wait for him to see this movie just to see the adjudicator. That's like straight from his brain. <laughs> um, <laughs> so I liked John Wick 3 a lot. I I uh, thought that the movie maybe was the most entertaining movie I've ever seen for the first hour. <laughs> yeah. And did it start to exhaust you at a certain point? I got a little worn out. Yeah, I think did like for me too. I think when they got to the the middle action set piece mm-hmm. um, with uh, with Halle Berry, yeah. I wasn't fully enjoying it enough because I was just sort of like, what else right. could there be? Right. And then the the ending sort of rallied a bit. Um, I really liked the movie a lot. I think Chapter Two is maybe my favorite okay. still, but that could just be because I'm more familiar with it than Chapter Three at this point. Um, I, I kind of had the same feelings with that one as I did with number two, where the, the action stuff is so superlative and the villains are a lot of fun. And in this case, like Mark Dacascos as 
one of the main bad guys is just aces, <laughs> he's and so great. he's even better than he was in Only the Strong, and I didn't think that was even possible. But not as good as he is in Double Dragon. No, no. That's on Blu-ray at my library, and I'm That's very on Blu-ray in to... my house. Ooh! Uh, I, it was sent to me. Yeah. I've never actually seen it. I've never seen it either. I tried to watch it, and it was like one of the tackiest-looking movies <laughs> I'd ever seen, and I turned it off. I'm kind it of into it. Like, it was like... <laughs> It was like very 90s New Line, Ooh. but not New Line, oh. right? I don't think they made it. Okay, so it's like Fine Line? <laughs> I wish. <laughs> so, I wish it was Fine Line. Yeah. yeah. Adam McGoyan's Double Dragon. Gotta love it. <laughs> Gotta love it. Um, I think I'm 50-50 on the world building of the John Wick series, so sometimes I'm really kind of tickled by like just kind of how over the top it is and the details that they put into it and other times i feel like they're at the point where they're repeating themselves or it's they, yeah i don't know that's the only little bit but with I, me on these movies i do kind of love the fact that at this point they don't give a shit about the real world at all like the right. first movie was kind of one foot in one foot out yeah and the further the series goes the more it's just like no we're fully in this crazy world where mm-hmm. everyone every character on screen is part of this shadow society yeah um and i don't i don't think they can go any deeper for chapter four. Oh, i'm sure they will i hope there's a chapter four they really, especially yeah. given the setup for chapter four it's may 21st 2020 there's already a date there's already, they, okay. that just came out right before i came here oh okay because the, the movie opened so well i'm guessing yeah like, it was like 60 million unseated avengers god i love it they opened <laughs> yeah they re- they announced the release date for john wick 4 and for the invisible man uh invisible man is going to be march of next year that's the Lee Whannell one, right? Correct. Okay. Yeah, with, with Elizabeth, Elizabeth Moss. Moss. I'm yeah. into it. I'm into it too. So into it. Yeah. So um, it's a good movie. It's and this summer's been the batting average. This summer has been pretty good. Uh, yeah, two for three. Right. Yeah. I liked Avengers. I yeah. liked Longshot. Oh, Longshot. Yeah. All right. Three I liked, for four. Uh, I didn't see. Uh, I was supposed to see Detective Pikachu yesterday, but I did not go. It's the one miss for me. Yeah. And John Wick three. Yeah. So I mean, I'll take that. Yeah. Not bad. We're not going to be like super depressed at the summer show. Well, this, this week point. it all changes with Guy Ritchie's Aladdin. Which word is it's not as bad as it, people are thinking that it was going to be. Okay. I don't know. I'm weirdly always rooting for Will Smith. (laughs) I can't explain it. Oh, speaking of this, this is a real quick digression, but I was telling Mark uh, this story on Saturday. Um, In my fifth grade play, uh, we had an around the world theme and we had a chorus section and we sang a whole new world. Hmm. And it was of the moment because, you know, that came out in 92 and this was like in 93. Okay. And um, so everybody was singing like the bulk of the song but then we would have like soloist breakouts and there would be like a whole new world and then somebody solo would go don't you dare close your eyes got it and i netted the solo of hold your breath it gets better oh wow and i don't think anybody has ever sung a line in a song (laughs) it like i acted the the line i would like i was kind of breathy for the hold your breath because i felt like that added to it so i was like hold your breath it gets better wow yeah and who knew at the time that that would become your catchphrase yeah (laughs) Uh, so many chloroforms (laughs) (laughs) um anyways (laughs) so i so i saw that um i saw a couple movies on vod well one's a netflix one's a vod but they were both not good um good 
I saw Unicorn Store, the Brie Larson. You pulled the trigger on that huh? movie. Yeah, it took me five days to finish it, and it's <laughs> ninety minutes. Um, um, I'll I'll say this: I can't believe that she showed this to people. Like, okay, that this was an idea of hers that became a full feature film that had to get the participation of other people. Okay, it's weird. It's real weird. It's something where. I don't know where the line is between this is how she really feels about things and sees the world and it's just kind of this twee Fox Searchlight movie from 2007. Got it. It's real weird. But um, I said it in, I think it was, I can't remember when. It was recently though. I was talking about Brie Larson and she's fascinating to me. She's like Warren Beatty where it's just... (laughs) Sometimes she's so right, and sometimes she's just so wrong. Okay. And this is one of those times where, like, this is her town and country. Ah. Or this is her, like, rules don't apply. And Which it's I just like, see. you're kind yeah. of too young to be doing your rules right. don't yeah, apply. Right, really. Okay. So, I don't know. It's real bizarre and weird, and it rallies a little bit in the last half hour and turns into, like, a two-star movie, but oh, okay. it's real rough beforehand. <laughs> um I saw the documentary Scary Stories about the scary stories tell in the dark oh, book series. Oh, okay. And? Um, well, you I feel bad saying this by this. saying it wasn't good. So I, feel, I, feel, I feel bad saying this because it's a little movie, and I'll say, I, I think it's one of the worst documentaries I've ever seen. Wow, okay. Um, the... The material is really interesting, and I like that book series. I uh, There's a lot of people who are nostalgic for that book series. It's got an interesting backstory because it was like a banned book amongst a lot of schools. And the way that it's depicted in the movie is very strange where it's all over the place. It's like you get a little bit about the, the book being banned in the beginning, then you get a little bit at the end. And then there's like interstitched with it, like a random woman kind of reading the stories to bored children, but she's like riffing on it. So she's not even reading it as is. And then there's stuff about like, I have an art gallery show of scary stories because I'm that much of a fan. And it's just like all over the place and not fun. And that's the thing that I think is so weird because these books are basically like darker goosebumps. Right. So, and people have fun with them. It was all like your sleepover book where you tried to scare your friends. And none of that kind of good natured feeling is there. It's very academic and very, um, I don't know, artless in a way. Yeah. Um, so I was disappointed with it. I'm a big fan of like pop culture types documentaries and. <laughs> I was really hoping that I was going to get like a rocket fire explosion type of situation here, but um, I don't know. I feel bad saying this because obviously somebody you know spent a year plus of their life working on it, but it was just not what I wanted, and it was real tough to get through. I think we are oversaturated with like fandom documentaries, yeah, where it's people like a thing, and so they kickstart a documentary to talk about how they like a thing, yeah. Um, and they don't all work because sometimes there's not enough material. Like there's not enough about Fright Night to warrant mm-hmm. a two and a half hour documentary on yeah. Fright Night. That's longer than the movie Fright Night and it shouldn't be. Yeah. Um, and then in some cases I think it's just people aren't filmmakers. They don't know how to tell a story mm-hmm. with a movie. 
they just like the thing and this is the way that they express that fandom, but it's not a movie that's suitable for public consumption in terms of it telling a story, Yeah, even as a documentary. So I haven't seen it yet. I'm not speaking specifically to this one, but I've seen too many. I recently, and I won't name it, watched a documentary uh, about a company of which I'm a fan, a movie studio of which I am a fan. Uh, and, uh, it's one of the worst documentaries I've ever seen where it was like, just Mm -hmm. a fan put it together and got a couple interviews and some of the talking heads are over the phone and that doesn't work. They Uh, had that in scary stories also. Also the, the author of the book series and the illustrator both are either passed on or won't be interviewed. So like instead they have the son of the author who was estranged from his dad when the books were written. This is a problem. Yeah, it's very, and then it gets into that famous Nathan's bullshit where it's just like, we want to hear about like why the guy wrote the books. Right. We don't want to hear about like how he was a shitty dad. (laughs) Like I don't care. I no offense, sir, but it's just like, that's that's not not why I'm watching story. Right. Yeah. Well, that's a bummer. It was. Um, and then a couple more. I saw yesterday at the uh, Chicago Critics Film Festival at the Music Box this past weekend. I wanted to get out to more of it, but um, yeah, I, I don't know. I was bummed. I just <laughs> I just couldn't make it work. Uh, but uh, this is the new Danny Boyle movie written by Richard Curtis, um, who is behind uh, like Love Actually and Notting Hill and a few others. Um, it's weird. <laughs> it's, uh, it's, it works better in scenes than as a whole. Okay. Um, this movie's about, uh, there's a power outage across the entire world and everybody forgets about the Beatles. The Beatles don't exist except one guy still remembers the Beatles. And then he decides that when he realizes people don't remember the Beatles, that he's going to um, take the music and pass it off as it was his music. And the movie has like a looper level insistence on not dealing with that as the imposter syndrome. It kind of touches on it, but only comedically. But there's certain things like, you know... Would this still – is it just the song sung by anyone that would make them right, or is it right. the, the fact that it was these four guys at this time right. and they don't focus in on any of that? They don't focus in on like you know stealing the thing and claiming it as your own even though you claim to love it and like kind of how that's weird. They don't go into any of that. So what is the movie about? <laughs> it's basically just like, wow, look at this whirlwind of success that I've had and I can't believe I didn't that realize I didn't that earn. my friend Lily James was in love with me the whole time. And uh... it's weird. Um, it's funny at times because okay. Richard Curtis is a good writer, yeah. Um so certain jokes and scenes work. Um, there's a running joke about, you know, like other things not existing too. That is pretty funny um, because you're just expecting it only to be the Beatles are the thing that doesn't exist. Um, but it's, it's disappointing because it's so modest in its ambition and it just wants to be a crowd pleaser. And it could have been, a lot more interesting if they wanted to push it in those directions. Okay. So overall, it's kind of just okay. All right. Um, and then I finally saw Friday the 13th Part 8, Jason Takes Manhattan. <laughs> finally. <laughs> um, this is... I have I have four more 
that you have to see. For real? I haven't seen two, five, six, or seven. I'm so fascinated by this. For some reason, I thought you had seen all of them. No, no. This is just a series that's never been like my series. Got so it. I just am slowly getting through them. Okay. Because I've, I've seen all of the Nightmare on Elm Streets and Halloweens and Child's Plays. I just need to like focus in on Friday the 13th. Um, so I will say this. That movie has a great opening credits and closing credits song. Uh, okay. I love it. I barely remember it. It's The Darkest Side of the Night by Metropolis. <laughs> and I've listened to it, no joke, maybe five times <laughs> since I've watched the movie. This is another movie that took me about five days to finish. Yeah, I don't blame you for that. Um, it's very, I was texting with Mike while I was watching it. It's shockingly tame. Yes. And it's very boring. Yes. And I knew that he was going to be on the boat for a long time, but I didn't know it was going to be on the boat for that long of a time. Yes. And the best character gets killed off in like the most mean-spirited way. It's the, on the boxer. Roof? Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. He's clearly the best character because yeah. he's the only one who kind of has like an attitude. I couldn't even tell you. I mean, yeah. who the rest of the characters are basically yeah. because everybody's so forgettable in that movie. Yeah, they really are. I mean, like, there's no like the, the closest ones that have quirks are like the rock star girl and the guy with the camera, but they're killed right. off early, so it's like right. doesn't matter. Right. So, I mean, I can't say that I was disappointed because I knew what I was getting into, but wow, what a what a missed opportunity that movie is. It really takes the Nightmare on Elm Street approach to characterization, too, where it's like mm-hmm. everybody has a gimmick. Yeah. Um, because in the original, you know, if you go back to part one and part two, it's just they're all just mm-hmm. camp counselors. You know, yes. it's not there's no defining characteristic about any of them necessarily. Um but yeah, part eight really takes that approach. It's it's yeah. my least favorite by a pretty wide margin. Yeah, I think of the ones that I've seen so far. Yeah, I definitely would say that. Um, of the know. 1989 slasher sequels, Halloween 5, Jason Tinks Manhattan, and The Dream Child, how would you rank them? Dream Child 1? For sure. Uh, Halloween 5, maybe 2, and I don't like Halloween 5. Yeah. And, and the then Jason way. takes Manhattan. Yeah. Yeah. I just wanted to get in that Nightmare on Elm Street 5 is amazing. Hopkins bump. Hopkins bump. <laughs> <laughs> the house that Hopkins built. Um, well, I'm weirdly excited for you to watch the rest of these movies. Yeah. I'm probably going to get to them before October. I just okay. have been in a mood to watch some Jason movies. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. I'm so, excited. Mm-hmm. I like two of those other ones. No, okay. I like three of them. I like okay. two, five, and six. I okay. don't love seven, even though we we know it's Mike's favorite. But uh, <laughs> What's the Tom McLaughlin one? That's, that's six. six. Okay. Yeah. And that's more like comedic, right? Yeah, it's a little bit jokey. A lot of people, okay. that's their favorite. Okay. It is not mine. If I like the jokiness of Jason X, is it comparable to Yeah, I think so. Movies? All right. For I'm whatever reason, I like the jokiness of Jason X. I like it a little less yeah. than six. Six is good. It's just I like... Okay. I like the first five better. Okay. So. Yeah. And stay tuned because the next time I do a songs column, the yeah. darkest side of the Oh, nice. It has to be in there. <laughs> I'm excited about this. It has this. to be in there. <laughs> um, I've only seen a handful of movies since the last time I recorded because uh, I've been at the Chicago Critics Film Festival and I don't want to talk about them too much because I have this plan as of this recording to review a bunch of them. So I don't want to repeat myself too much. Um I saw The Nightingale, which is the new Jennifer Kent movie mm-hmm. from the director of uh, – she's the director of The Babadook. Um, it's good. Mm-hmm. I think expectations had me expected to be blown away by it. It's very hard to watch. 
It's a very unpleasant, brutal movie. Mm -hmm. Um, And it reminded me a lot of a movie called Mohawk that came out like two years ago, which was Ted Gagan's movie. And that movie leaned a little more into being just kind of a pulpy revenge movie. And this movie tries to subvert that in a lot of ways. So it maybe isn't as satisfying on that level, but it's probably a better movie. Mm -hmm. Of all the ones that I saw, this one will probably stick with me more than some of the others, but I had a better time watching some of the others just because of the mood I was in, right? I mean, again, it's not a movie I can really complain about except to say that it's overlong. It's about two hours and ten minutes and didn't need to be. Okay. Um, But very well shot, really good, two really good performances. Um, What else did I see? Uh Greener Grass was probably my least favorite. I saw that as a short once. Yeah. It was they had it as a short feature last year, I think. Was it last year? Yeah. Okay. And I remember it being like good as a short. I could see it working as a short. Yeah. I've not seen the short. Mm-hmm. Um I don't quite think it works expanded to feature length. It's basically like an adult swim movie where the jokes are just, hey, isn't this random? Mm-hmm. And sometimes it's really funny, like a scene in a hair salon where when they cut somebody's hair, it bleeds, uh, which is just a weird visual gag, especially when it cuts yeah. to the barber in the back, yeah. m- like sweeping up the hair off the floor. And mm. it's just this massive <laughs> blood stain. <laughs> that's funny. But then there's sure. other stuff that's just like, isn't this weird for the sake of being weird? IFC Midnight picked it up. So it's getting a release. Good. Um, Good for them. Yeah. Uh, but it, it was not, it was not for me. Um, the, f- my favorite movie that I saw so far is a Chicago production called St. Francis, which was the opening night film. Um, a very small movie, no distribution yet. Um, just about a girl who becomes a nanny for this little girl named Franny and how they sort of affect one another's lives. And I was, uh, the title alone made me think of another movie that's sort of similar that came out a couple of years ago called St. Vincent with Bill Murray, a movie I really did not like. Mm-hmm. And this is like such a better version of a similar story in terms of like, I probably shouldn't be with a kid. I'm a precocious child. Mm-hmm. We'll change each other's lives. Um, it just was so interesting and authentic in some of the things that it dealt with in terms of uh, women's experiences. And I say this as somebody who, you know, talk to Erica about it afterwards, listen to the Q and a, listen to other women talk about it. So I'm not saying like, I know what the female experience is. And I can say that this movie's authentic. This was something I was hearing from the women around me. Okay. Um, I don't know what the female experience is. We'll come up uh, later when we talk about higher learning. <laughs> John Singleton doesn't either. So yeah. don't worry. You're not alone. <laughs> That's what I meant. Oh <laughs> uh, boy. Um, oh, I see what you're saying. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> I heard that a different way in my it's head. All, I'm sorry. It's all good. I talk fast. No, that's okay. Um, <laughs> any others that you want to hear about? I don't know. Uh, how is Brittany Runs a Marathon and the Art of Self-Defense? I liked both a lot. Okay. Art of Self-Defense reminded me a lot of Observe and Report okay. in terms of the tone and sort of how dark it's willing to go. Mm-hmm. Um, Brittany Runs a Marathon is really good. Jillian Bell you know, mm-hmm. is somebody who's like, she's fun in supporting roles and hasn't quite overstayed her she hasn't become rebel wilson yet you know where it's like yeah i'm i've had enough of the jillian bell thing Mm -hmm. uh and this is a different kind of a part for her and she's very very good in it yeah 
I was worried she was going in that direction where it was just too much of the same right. thing. And then right. she did uh, The Night Before, and I really liked her in The Night She's Before. She's really good in that. So I was happy that she kind of changed it up a little bit. Yeah. So I'm glad to hear that this one's good, too. And that's an Amazon movie, so that's getting a release good. at some point as okay. well. Okay. Um, yeah. So I've been seeing good stuff. Only, you know, Greener Grass, I was kind of lukewarm on, and that's really the only one. Everything else that I saw I've liked mm-hmm. so far, and I will continue to try to review some of these as quickly as I can, but I can't promise anything. Um, let's talk about higher learning. Yeah. 25-year-old John Singleton. It's almost unfair, isn't it? This is a movie that a 25-year-old makes. Yeah. Um, <laughs> it's amazing. For better and for worse. Yeah. I I really like that he just is putting it out there. And this is his movie for sure. Um, and uh, he wrote and directed it, and it's he kind of takes the sledgehammer approach to his messaging. And I know that got a lot of um, uh, criticism when the movie came out originally that people were complaining that it, w- it wasn't subtle. And I think that viewing it in '95, I felt that way too a little bit. Maybe that it was a bit over the top, but then. Watching it now, and I hadn't seen it in maybe two or three years before watching it this weekend. Um, it's it's weirdly prescient on a lot of things. Some of it is the yeah. Michael Rappaport stuff in particular mm-hmm. is all very prescient in terms of talking about school shootings, in terms of talking about sort of uh, white nationalism. Mm-hmm. A lot of the rest of the stuff in the movie is less so Mm. uh, and hasn't dated as well but it's like this movie means well you know and so I'm willing to cut it so much slack when it stumbles and it stumbles a lot but it's clear that he means so well and is trying to cram so much in yeah I have this this is just from Wikipedia but I just want to read this quote because I love it okay Uh, if you look at higher learning which I was 25 years old making it I'm like chock full of everything that would concern young people, lesbianism and racism and everything I could put in that movie. It was a great movie, a fun movie to do, but you could never get that movie made now. Never. The guy shoots everybody. You know what I mean? Two things. One, I love that he says, know what I mean at the end of it, because once upon a time years ago when we were in our first place, I remember listening to the DVD commentary for higher learning Mm -hmm. and he says, know what I mean at the end of every sentence. (laughs) It is how he punctuates everything. Uh, Second, I just, he's a big earnest fan. The part where he says (laughs) it's chock full of everything that would concern young people, lesbianism and racism, not even like, Whatever. <laughs> I just couldn't believe that he led with lesbianism. He's... Oh. Uh, yeah. Um, <sighs> John, John Singleton is like one of those guys where um, I like him so much that sometimes I'm just like, oh, like when I hear him talk. <laughs> um, and I'm not... I, I've read stuff about him that's not entirely complimentary, mm. and I don't want to get into that, but it... I'll, I only bring it up because I'm not the type where even if I really like a filmmaker or an actor, I tend to kind of have like a bit of a remove from them um, because I don't want to get too caught up in their private life or their philosophies on certain things because that makes it harder for me to enjoy their work. Right. So um, he, he's he's one of those guys. However, when I'm reading like kind of um, 
friends of his or coworkers or <laughs> collaborators of his post posthumously talking about him. I, I, I really respect that he, he came ac- across just because of the movies that he was making at the beginning as being a message filmmaker. Mm-hmm. And he was that, but he also he he was also like very much the guy who made Shaft, Too Fast, Too Furious, Four Brothers, kind of the goofy genre lover. Um, and I I always thought that he kind of went in that direction because it's like he kept pulling the slot until like it didn't pay out, and then that was sure. Rosewood, and then studios okay. were like, hey, right now you're ours now and you have to make the movies that we want you to make. But it was never really like that from what I'm reading. It's just that, um, you know, it, he had like kind of a second stage of his career that was much more commercial and that's where he wanted to go. I tried rewatching Rosewood today and I just ran out of time. Mm-hmm. I like Rosewood mm-hmm. and I remember feeling like it's one of the more underrated movies in his filmography. It's one of the two I haven't seen. Okay. What's the other one? Uh, abduction. That's the one I have. Well, no, I don't know that I've ever seen Poetic Justice. Okay. And I've never seen Abduction. Yeah. Um, Poetic Justice, Boys in the Hood, and Rosewood are going to play at the Music Box oh, that's next cool. month. So that's I'm going to cool. try to go see all three of them there. Rosewood should be seen on a big screen. Yeah. It's like a widescreen movie. It's good. Um, yeah, it's interesting because I watching Higher Learning today, I could actually feel some of that. And I don't know how much mm-hmm. of it was him sort of looking at school days as an influence. Mm-hmm. Um, but there is kind of a vibe of like – Hey, isn't this a fun, entertaining, crazy college movie? Like some of the score Mm -hmm. um, and some of the scenes are very much directed that way. And then they sort of butt up against this really heavy drama where he's trying to tackle sexual assault and racism and, you know, school shootings and like Mm -hmm. really, really heavy shit. And I think it is often an uncomfortable mix. So it's almost like this is the movie where early singleton and what he would later be are sort of butting up against one another in kind of a weird way. Yeah, I could see that. He's definitely um making something much more uh slick than you know, Boys in the Hood right. is very is very sober and right. um Poetic Justice is I think kind of a middle ground of it. Um okay. I watched that again maybe two or three summers ago. And I think I remember you talking about it on the yeah, show. I, I was really taken by it yeah. the last time. Um, the thing that I liked is he, I, I was watching, I was reading and kind of watching some old interviews with him when he was talking about the movies when they were released. And one of the things that he was saying was um, when he made a boys in the hood, it was kind of like a perfect storm of, you know, Spike Lee opened the door and he ha- and then John Singleton had this lightning in a bottle movie. And then that was later emulated by the Hughes brothers right. and like some other directors right. like with, um, you know, Mesa Society or like New Jersey Drive or um, Sunset Park, like a bunch of movies like that. Um, and he said that what it gave him was sort of a direction to not just make the same movie all the time. But the way he found a way around it was he would take the same characters that would be in the movie that was set in South central Los Angeles, but he would take them out of South, right, South central right. Los Angeles. So like poetic justice is a road trip movie right. and um, uh, higher learning is a college movie. And right. he's taking like Malik could have uh, played by Omar Epps and higher learning could have very easily been in either of those two yeah. previous movies. Yeah. Um, and he said in an interview that, 
the Omar Epps character was is basically him. He it's the John Singleton stand-in. It's his voice. It's his the things that he's saying in the movie that he wrote for Omar Epps are like his opinions and things like that. So I I find it very interesting from that regard. And then also Omar Epps is just an actor I've always really liked. And I think that he's very engaging. And um, this is probably, he's done a lot of great work, but I think this is my favorite performance of his. He's really, really good. Yeah. I maybe, and I feel bad saying this because I don't know how I would play this moment or mm-hmm. how this moment would actually play out. But, uh, you know, spoilers forthcoming for higher learning. Yeah. The scene where Lawrence Fishburne is sort of holding him and he's going through a range of emotions, yeah. that scene doesn't work as well for me. And some of it is things that he's doing as an actor and some of it is the way that John Singleton chooses to have the moment play out. Aside from that nitpick, um, mm-hmm. he's really, really good in the movie and finding out that that's John Singleton, like writing himself, helps explain why he's sort of the most interesting most complex character and everybody else is a little bit of a type. Yeah. I know that um, from watching an interview that he did with Charlie Rose, which was gross to have to watch a Charlie Rose interview, (laughs) but I, I, Hey, it's there and he's a good interviewer. So I don't know. But um, he was saying that he with this movie, Singleton was definitely trying to write more characters that were not like him because he just didn't feel like he, could afford to repeat himself with just writing only black men and women in his movies. And I think that, um, he does, uh, I'm, I think he's like 75% there with some of the other characters, meaning the, uh, the Christy Swanson character and the Michael Rappaport character. I think that there's some things in there that are, I commend him for in for getting as deep into the white supremacist subplot as he does, because that's something where, and obviously I'm speaking from my experience as a Jewish person. Like I don't want anything to do with this. I don't want to empathize with these motherfuckers. I don't care. But if you have to have a character in this, where you explain how somebody can pick off a loner, who's also kind of weird. Right. Um, how that happens, he does a great job of showing that and just kind of how they're being used as a martyr and a prop and a tool. And I'm sure there are other movies that have done this, and I'm sure somebody listening is like, oh, yeah, but it's done much better in X movie. Mm -hmm. Um, I probably tend to avoid a lot of the movies that deal with sort of white nationalism as a, you know. Um, So for me... This is the movie that always comes to mind when I hear some of these stories because, yeah, it is one of the only times I've seen a filmmaker mm-hmm. just sort of ask, how did how does this happen? How yeah. do we get there? Yeah. And the thing that I – he's – the character Remy played by Michael Rappaport, he's sort of the best example of something I think the movie does really well, which is shows everything happening – in increments like things getting slowly worse and worse and worse and worse where all this stuff could eventually come to a head and some of it is just um it's and it's tough to say it's easy it's easy to say i guess you know you want to side all the time with the ice cube character because you know that the Michael Rappaport character is going to end up becoming a white supremacist later but there are certain things where um, John Singleton doesn't shy away from the quote-unquote good guy characters 
also showing blatant disrespect for people. Mm-hmm. And that is um, a catalyst for things getting worse. And I think that uh, one really interesting motif throughout the movie is mentor protege. There's who has the good mentors that are positive influences and who are the ones that are negative influences. Right. And I think that there's some that are really strong and then there's some that are kind of weak. And I read in some of the trivia, like I'm thinking most specifically about the Jennifer Connelly, Christy Swanson relationship. Oh A lot oh of that was boy. cut. And I think it's definitely to the detriment of the movie because Jennifer Connelly is, doesn't have a character to play. No. And, um, it, it it's it's weird because I feel like the Omar Epps character and the if you're we're looking at the kind of the tr- the trio of main characters, I think Omar Epps and Michael Rappaport have a certain amount of of kind of a climax to their arcs, um, and Christy Swanson has a climax, but kind of like uh, no, sorry, <laughs> like no, sorry, <laughs> it's like no, it's weird where he leaves her. It's almost cruel where he leaves her. Yeah, well, it's almost a metaphor for the movie because it's her standing <laughs> yeah. there saying, like, I uh, I really meant well, but yeah. this was kind of a disaster, you yeah. know? And I'm like, yeah, that's higher learning. You mean it's not yeah. a disaster, but, like, yeah. you mean well, but you leave some bodies in your wake, unfortunately. For sure. I, I feel so – this is the first time that this really struck me, but I felt so bad for her character because you think, like, okay, this is all in one semester. Like, this – peace fest happened in november of this first semester and she was raped and she set up a peace fest where it was a mass shooting and then the only thing i mean and what else can you say but like i'm happy that there's the moment where omar Epps kind of like doesn't let her at least at that moment feel the guilt like it's her fault but at the same time i mean like that's something those are two events that are going to be with her for the rest of her life right. and like just leaving it there and not hit her having kind of like a Lawrence Fishburne to cushion the blow. Right. Is rough. Right. It's really rough. Because you can make an argument that it's the Jennifer Connelly influence that leads to the peace fest, yeah. which is what leads to a mass shooting and you know, yeah. uh, she's going to be fucked up for life. Yeah. So do you feel like in a scene like early on when we're getting the party montage mm-hmm. and I think it's Ice Cube's roommate who's getting frustrated. Before Rappaport goes to the cops, there's a different roommate. Well, there's two roommates, and then Rappaport reports them to campus security for right. like a noise ordinance. But before that, there's a guy who basically only shows up for that scene yeah. and says, tomorrow's the first day of classes. Come oh, on, yeah. guys. Like, yeah. whatever. So in that scene, do you feel like the movie sympathizes with that character at all? Because I'm torn. I was like, yeah. he has a point. But I feel like this movie wants me to be having fun with Ice Cube and his friends. I think it's kind of towing both lines. I think okay. you can kind of read it in both ways. If it's a movie where, you know, I mean, I at that point in Ice Cube's career, he was like an icon. Yeah. I mean, he, he was, and it, it, your sympathies tend to align with him because he's cool. Right. He's like a very charismatic person and um especially in this movie where he's yeah. sort of without fault yeah and this guy is the other guy is this kind of wet noodle right like kind of crybaby right. type in right. the scene but i mean if i'm just like putting myself in the shoes of that guy complaining he's totally got a point right 
he's justified. So he's, I was I was yeah. watching the movie wondering, yeah, is this and maybe it's an example of Singleton not choosing a side and, and yeah, and I kind of some part of me wishes the movie had done that maybe a little bit yeah. more. I kind of commend him that he's sort of allowing that complexity maybe a little bit to the Ice Cube character because I'm looking at it like is Ice Cube in reference to how Omar Epps looks at him. And Omar Epps kind of has like two sort of mentors in this movie with Fishburne and with Ice Cube. And, and Tyra Banks in a way, I would and argue. Tyra ba- yeah, 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 that's true. And then, um, yeah, Ice Cube, I guess, is probably the most... I won't say negative, but I'll say like polarizing influence where he's the one where right. he kind of wants it not to be moderate, to be more extreme in one direction. So um, I I appreciate that like Malik, and this is just kind of showing that John Singleton is clearly the most interested in the Malik right, character, right. that there's all these voices kind of kind of guiding him. And it's a matter of like he needs to learn to think for himself. It's a, it's such a weird thing because all that stuff works pretty well. Yeah. And so part of me is like, just make that your movie and take out some of the Christy Swanson stuff and some of the Michael Rappaport stuff. Mm-hmm. But I would also argue that the Michael Rappaport stuff mm-hmm. is really effective. I agree um, with that. And, and it's not to say that the Christy Swanson stuff isn't, but it's clear that that's where he knows the least, where he understands the least. Yeah. Which I didn't realize, but like stuff got cut out there. Um so that whole her whole subplot doesn't do the movie a lot of favors. I think some of that more hashtag problematic stuff sure uh, comes from her storyline. Yeah, it's one of those things where like I give him half credit because he's trying, and I think that he's, exactly he's very he means well. He means well. Yeah. Um, it's just he doesn't. It, maybe it's a, a reflection of his age at that point where he just doesn't fully f- feel like he gets that situation. Like I, right. I, I think that, um, and I'm, you know, I'm, I'm not happy that I, it took me until like a recent viewing to really like have the Christy Swanson performance get under my skin. But in light of like, just being much more cognitive of cognizant of what's going on with the me too movement and things like that. Um, I, I really responded this time to her performance in a yeah. way that I, I haven't before. And, um, I think the way she plays it is interesting because she's sort of this naive character in a way and she's just terrible things happen to her and she's forced to grow up really quick. And the thing that kind of sticks with me is like when Jennifer Connelly character is talking about, you know, does she want to report being raped? Mm -hmm. And she says something that you've heard so many times in the past few years about how it's not going to do anything and they're just going to make me feel like shit. Mm-hmm. And it, it it's, um, I really respond. I really respond to her performance this time because it, it's unexpected for me because I, Christy Swanson's always been like an actress that I, has been appealing to me, but it's like as an action character or a comedic right, character. Right, right, right. And I can't think of too many other characters where she was, where she has like just a real dramatic, dramatic performance. Yeah, a dramatic yeah. performance. Yeah. And I think it's I think Mannequin it's really good. Mannequin 2 on the move. Have you seen Mannequin 2 on the move? Oh, have I? <laughs> I've seen it once. Yeah. From um, the director of Tammy and the T-Rex. Was it? Yeah. Okay. I'm looking forward to that. Oh, boy. <laughs> oh, boy. It's something. Okay. I'll take something. <laughs> um, yeah. So I, I, I don't know. I mean, like, I, I definitely commend singleton for not having all the answers but at least 
trying and it's almost yeah like the swanson character setting up the peace fest it's like a very um regina king says it's like a we are the world type of uh sentiment or act but where else do you start if you want to kind of make that uh, extend that olive branch so to speak like you have to do something that is going to be probably corny and ineffective but at least it's better than not trying. She got Eve's Plum to play. She's doing something right. Was Eve's Plum a thing? I had their album. Okay, because I yeah. like that song, but I don't know if I ever... That's heard. Vitamin C singing. Did you know that? For real? Yeah, she was She was Eve's Plum before she was Vitamin Holy C. Holy shit. Yeah. This soundtrack just went up another star. <laughs> I do. I did have the soundtrack. I love and this I soundtrack. I listened to it a lot because, yeah, even the piece that they, the Tori Amos song that they use as score, yeah. not losing my religion, yeah. which, you know, she was one of the first to do the thing that's in every trailer now, which yeah. is like the sad, slow cover. Yeah. Um, I think it's called Butterfly. It's mm. really great. Every time the Liz Fair song kicked on, I mean, it's he's doing such an obvious thing where each it's person has radio, their, basically. yeah, each character has their kind of music. Yeah, you know? um, I'm on Team Malik for the music because I love <laughs> Soul Searching by Michelle and Degeo Cello and Raphael Sadiq's Ask of You. That's the song in the Tyra Banks Omar X uh, Omar Epps uh, love scene, which, which we need to get to in shots. a second. <laughs> um, that song, like is so amazing it's like one of the it's like the reason why body and soul albums (laughs) exist it's like a song you want to unironically make love to at one point in your life it it's like so good that if you don't like that song like get off my quad like what what does it say about me that my musical tastes most closely align with christy swanson's (laughs) that's fine i'm closer to hers than uh michael rapaport's yeah i'm not a rage against the machine i was i was never uh, a rage guy in high school but i got over it pretty quickly once i figured out the structure of their songs and how everyone was the same okay um but yeah, early on, like I almost went to see them open for House of Pain before they were anybody, and I was yeah. uh, I was an early adopter, and then kind of got over them pretty. I kind of outgrew sure. them pretty quickly. Yeah. Um, there's a a quote from Peace Fest that to me rings so hollow, and I was watching it, and I was like. Is this the movie in a nutshell? And that's so dismissive and not fair because this movie is trying so hard. Yeah. Uh, the quote goes like this. What is high? Oh, what yeah. is higher? <laughs> what is learn? What is learning? Mm. And I was like, that's this movie. <laughs> Just asking that question as though it means something and then saying like, you guys think about it. That's the type of thing where I don't know enough to know enough where like I just let it happen and I'm just like I bet it really means something it like great, like some kind of slam poetry thing. If you just thing. say it that in the what is high? <laughs> what is higher? Yeah. <laughs> what is learn? I was like is he really going to do the whole title? Yeah, I'm impressed that you I mean granted like it ended in a mass shooting so I'm talking about <laughs> I'm talking about like event logistics but I was very impressed that she was able to pull together all these musical acts. Not bad. Like right speakers in a short amount yeah. of time so maybe she should have been like an event planner or something <laughs> maybe that they could have done the five years later montage oh god i just hope she's like has some semblance of happiness i think to some extent the movie spends a lot of its running time kind of publishing pu- publishing punishing her mm-hmm. for her privilege 
for yeah. being a white girl from California. Yeah. And when you think about every scene is either sort of a laugh at her expense, mm-hmm. whether it's her clutching her purse a little bit closer or hanging out with the two awful sorority girls, Kari Wurr and Bridget Wilson. Yeah. Um, you know, they're punchlines. And when she's not a punchline, she's being like martyred for making terrible choices, mm-hmm. um, sexual assault, which is not a result of her terrible choice. That's not at all what I'm implying. Yeah. Um, and trying to, you know, naively believe that this peace fest thing is a good idea and she's punished for that. I just the movie doesn't really see her as anything except like this thing that shouldn't be. Yeah, it's sort of yeah, cuz even like when they see her in the class in you see her in the classroom, she just needs to be guided everywhere and yeah. She she says the wrong thing to Lawrence Fishburne. Yeah. Um, well, at least- and, and when she does have some agency, it's this cliche of like experimenting with women in college because Singleton heard that that's a thing that happens. I mean, think about every comedy you've ever seen or every yeah. TV show where a woman says like, I kissed a girl once. What? It was college. This is the movie that acts that out. Yeah. And it's like, John Singleton, what do you know about anything? Yeah, I just think that he doesn't know women very well and this <laughs> it it shows. But I think there's enough good stuff in the performance that I think it maybe supersedes what's on the page. Again, I give a lot of credit for he means well. Yeah. She means well. Yeah. And um, I and not to get into people's lives, but she's been kind of daffy recently. Yeah, not great. Um, which is a real bummer. Yeah. Um, because I would have loved to have gotten her autograph on a higher learning poster at Horror Hound, but now I'm just kind of like, eh, I don't know if I want to do that. I'm going to Morris Chestnut instead. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Holy shit, Morris Chestnut sighting, right? He is. Yeah, he's there. He, he's right there. Um, that was exciting. I'm happy Ricky made it to college yeah, somehow. Right. <laughs> um, but uh, I felt like I didn't remember that when I was watching it. Yeah, yeah. Um, oh, I got a good Morris Chestnut story. Naturally. So I was seeing. There's yeah. no such thing as a bad Morris Chestnut story. <laughs> I was watching. I saw Baby Boy in the theater, and nice. they had a preview for Two Can Play That Game, which with, I saw in a theater with Morris Chestnut and Vivica A. Fox. Yeah. And I remember when <laughs> this is when I first started to realize like how much of a sex symbol Morris Chestnut was. <laughs> Because always I was like in the '90s, I was just like, "Oh, he's the guy from Under Siege 2. He's the guy from Boys in the Hood." Uh, but I didn't know like how much of a of an international sex symbol that he was. So I was watching the movie, and they sh- just showed him, and he was like in a suit. Yeah. And then this woman just spontaneously went, "Damn!" <laughs> <laughs> and it was one of the greatest things ever. <laughs> um, so, uh, wh- what was I talking about? <laughs> Christy Swanson being kind of daffy. Oh yeah, so. I mean this in the nicest possible way, but the fact that she's playing tolerant so well, maybe she's a really good actress. Maybe. Because if this wasn't it was like, a different time. Yeah, because you know? if she's not like this at all, then right. like, it's a really good performance. Well, yeah. So, um, anyways. So, uh, I'll get it. We were going to talk about like that sex scene with Tyra Banks and Omar Epps. Yeah, there's just some weird stuff that I haven't seen in a sex scene before. A yeah. lot of weird nipple licking that I was like, oh, oh. Which is right. even weirder because Singleton and Tyra Banks were dating. Yeah, I was this... thinking about him directing her to yeah. do that. I and... saw her do an interview. Like, well, it was recently. It was fairly recently. And it was like, let's talk about your career. And they were like, higher learning. And then they showed like 
segments of the sex scene and she goes oh that was weird like my boyfriend was directing me like how to fuck omar epps and it was like the first day of shooting and we didn't even know each other i find it so odd that like a man tells his significant other to have sex with another man in a movie and then he get shot <laughs> later in the movie yeah it's kind of a weird thing yeah like you'd have to have a lot of like you know red lobster conversations beforehand <laughs> to be like listen this is just for the a movie. lot of cheddar biscuits yeah a lot of cheddar biscuits so i guess i appreciated the the nipple licking shot was so weird and yeah. then i was like well at least it's her doing it to him yeah uh which we don't often see in a movie usually it's a man doing it to a woman and it's yeah. like gross because of again you thinking about the person directing it or whatever so at least it's more directed like well, i don't know i don't I, whatever i have a weird thing with like what i think is the sexiest scene in this movie and tyra banks is in it and it's when she's correcting his term paper ah yes i think it's like it's such like english grammar porn and i love it <laughs> like i want her to like judge every paper that i write where yeah. she's just like where's your thesaurus <laughs> what's with this comma splice like all this stuff I, I don't know i just like it from an academic standpoint where sure. i'm just like i just like hearing sure. it's like why i like finding forrester <laughs> where he's like slam the keys <laughs> would you say it gave you a semicolon yeah <laughs> it, did. Uh, it was hot <laughs> Um, I, I want to talk about Lawrence Fishburne's performance. Yeah. It's one of my favorite movie characters of all time. No kidding? Nah, I mean, like, it started kind of as a joke, but I really okay. do like it a lot. Why the accent? I think it's just because... That seems like one of those things where an actor is yeah. like, I want to give this character something. What if I do this accent? Yeah, I read he's, like, from the West Indies, and part of it has to do with that informs like why he is the way he is with his personality. But I don't, I mean like, unless you know, he's every college professor from any movie ever. <laughs> I love him. <laughs> no, I, I mean, Mr. Phipps. he's, he's good. And I get him as yeah. like a mentor to, I like, Malik. That, I like that he's, um, distant with the students and that him and Malik kind of gradually get to a situation where they're, basically as close as a professor and a student can be to being friends. Right. And I, I like how, um, uh, how do, how do I put it? Like just kind of sensitive and nurturing he is to him, like, especially after the tragedy. Yeah. I really, I really appreciate that because it totally breaks down the, you know, um, I'm teaching you lessons sort of thing. It's like, that's not what he, this man needs right now. And I, I appreciate that. And I, I just tend to like Lawrence Fishburne as an actor a lot. Um, yeah, I think probably what it was is like John Singleton was a PA on Pee Wee's Playhouse and that's where he met Lawrence Fishburne. And then he casted him in Boys in the Hood. So I think it's kind of like nomination for that. I think so. Yeah. Yeah. So it's probably like one of those things where it's like, Hey, you know, we're buddies. Do whatever right. you want. Right. Yeah. <laughs> Have fun with I it. Guess, yeah. So that's kind of how I always took it. And he was probably at the time the biggest movie star in the movie, right? Yeah. Him or Ice Cube. Ice Cube. Yeah. yeah I guess probably. probably sold a lot of tickets as well. But yeah. I remember going to see this opening night with the girl I was dating at the mm-hmm. time. Like I was all in for higher learning. Yeah. Came out the same weekend as Demon Night. Can you imagine? What a weekend. I saw both of those opening weekend. I didn't see Demon Night till like the Monday. We had like that Monday off of school. Yeah. What weekend was it? It was like uh, probably Martin Luther King Day weekend. Okay. It was, okay. yeah, it was like mid January. Okay. So, yeah, we had that Monday off school. I remember going to see Demon Night yeah. that day. But Friday night was 
for higher learning, baby. Yeah. Had the soundtrack. It's a good movie. (laughs) Good, good movie. Um, So did you know that Tupac was supposed to play Malik, but he went to jail? Oh. So he did not play Malik. Um, and that Leonardo DiCaprio was going to play Remy. No kidding. And I can see that too. I especially like Basketball Diaries. Right. DiCaprio. Right. I would love to have seen that version of this movie. Yeah. I'm happy. With, I'm very happy with the version of the movie that's made. Yeah, Rappaport's good. I, I love. Yeah. I. I mean, he's I, he's great in True Romance, but I think this is his best performance. Probably. Yeah. Um. Yeah. He's he's really terrific. So. But I mean, good lord! But some of the just like listening to or re- reading about some of the alternate casting of what this movie could have been, it's fascinating. Like one of the things was Lawrence Fishburne's character was pitched to Dustin Hoffman, and Dustin Hoffman was just like, "Well, no, the whole movie should be about me." And oh, what the a students. surprise! <laughs> and then John Singleton was like, "Nope." <laughs> good for John Singleton. Yeah. Like, could have had a big star, but yeah. So, but all of his lines would have just been "Big Boy did it." Yep, <laughs> Big Boy did it. Big Boy did it. <laughs> yeah, significant rest the night before. <laughs> um, did what do you think of Cole Hauser? All right, so that's where I wanted to go to. Okay, um, I actually think Cole Hauser is kind of amazing in this movie. I do too. Um, and very charismatic and a big part of why that subplot works mm-hmm. because you can see I'm not saying he could talk me into becoming a white nationalist but you can see how he's able to talk Michael Rappaport into becoming yeah. a white nationalist um, it did ruin Cole Hauser for me for life uh, because yeah. he's so he's such a creep and such an awful person that yeah. like I watch Goodwill Hunting and he's like it's a good call Will and mm-hmm. all I can hear is like we're white we're in America what else do you need right yeah um, well, when you, t- you combine like dazed and confused, higher <laughs> right. learning, I mean, yeah, he's he's scary. Yeah, I, mean, I love that. I love that Singleton brought him back for Too Fast, Too Furious. Yes, yeah, yeah. He works with creep. a lot of actors multiple times. I like that. He's got like, and one thing that uh, that was said a lot after he passed away was just how good he was at recognizing talent. That yeah, hadn't really had their moment yet, and uh, yeah. Cole Hauser, man. I mean, like, this is like uh, Kevin Gage and Heat scary. <laughs> the scene where he approaches yeah. Remy on the steps is really, really great. And, yeah. I mean, he uses the flag imagery. Again, it's very heavy-handed where yeah. it starts. I mean, the three key moments where the first shot, the last shot, mm-hmm. and then this shot. Yeah. Um, but, boy, again, especially given mm-hmm. the last 12 months, the scene where he comes up set to the backdrop, you know, where it's just yeah. his silhouette and the American flag. It's like, that's fucking, he's yeah. on to something, man. Yeah. I mean, I, I think that scene where he approaches, uh, where Cole Hauser approaches Michael Rappaport when he's reading on the steps and kind of, that's his first kind of soft recruitment of him. I, it's so effective too, because not that you kind of know something's up, but that might just be because you kind of already knew, like, the premise of the movie. But if you were just watching, the, like, if it was just in real life, it would be weird that a stranger would come up to you and basically be like, hey, buddy, let's go out and get right. some drinks. Right. But it's like the moment where your stomach drops is when he says, like, the white, we're white in America. What else do we need? And it's such and like Rapport a simple... even has him repeat it because it's almost like, wait, what? Yeah. <laughs> it's like that oh shit moment yeah. where it's just like, yeah. yeah, this is a lot worse than yeah. just a guy 
trying to be a good guy to another guy. So speaking of terrible people, one yeah. of the other skinheads, of course, played by Andrew Brynjarski. Yeah, I've heard really bad things about him. Like the worst yeah. stuff. Yeah. Um, I think all you have to do is look up his social media presence, and yeah, you'll discover uh, a terrible human being. So. I heard like years ago, like about you know how like horror conventions were disinviting him to things because of his behavior and. Well, good. So good for. Shouldn't have invited him in the first place. No, no. Um, A couple other. I I don't know if I'd say the performance was what I liked, but some of the stuff that they did with the writing of these characters I liked was um, Jason Wiles or Wills. He's the he's Omar Epps's roommate, right? The well-meaning white guy. The well-meaning white guy. There's a scene though that it's very. I'm happy it's in there. I don't know if it's like the best written scene, but I'm happy it's in there. It's where basically he's. Like, don't compare me to Remy. Not all white right, people are bad. Right, right. And Omar Epps kind of says, like, you know, what do you want me to do, right, basically? Right. So, um, like, I'm not going to assage your guilt because you're the one good white guy. But um, I think that is something that I've never had that situation directly where I've had to, like, convince one of my friends who is African-American that I'm, like, the good white guy. But I do, it took me a long time to realize that I'm not going to get certain things ever in the same way that my friends who are black are, and I should probably not even try, that I'm better off just being a good human being and not expecting some sort of, like, help me help you type of thing. Right. And I like that that scene's in there because you could tell how hurt he is by it because it's like Omar Epps was his friend and he doesn't like kind of earning this sort of reputation for something that wasn't his fault. But it also is just kind of the way of the world in that sense. But one thing that I like, I think it fits into um, John Singleton's thesis of the movie, which is this the word unlearn. And you're laughing, but I think it's really because I, really I just like, remember the end of the yeah. movie where it just says "unlearn," and I thought back sure. to what is high. Sure, sure. What is higher? Totally, I like it a what lot. What is un? <laughs> what is learn? Stop. What is unlearn? <laughs> trying to make a deep point, and you're fucking doing slam poetry jokes. Come on, bro. So, anyways, um, so the. The unlearned thing, I think, really fits in with that scene because these two guys, for all intensive purposes, should be able to be friends. Mm-hmm. They both want to be friends, but it's just their situation that's out of their control is causing them to fit into certain paradigms that ordinarily, just on an interpersonal basis, they shouldn't have to. And that's why I think the message with the unlearn is so powerful because the whole movie is about, you know, this kind of, how do I put it? It's like separatism, even though a college campus is supposed to integrate everybody. Mm-hmm. It's like a willful separatism. And that's, I like that scene so much because it's basically saying, like, if we can't even make this work, then what hope do we have? And it's really sad, but it's really honest. And that's why I like that scene so much. Do you see? And I've always read that scene a different way. So I've always read it as being very much on the side of Omar Epps, not looking at that as a sad situation, but more looking at it as like, hey, guy, you're never going to get it. 
which I mean is true. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm not saying that that guy's in the right. I'm not identifying with yeah. the one white guy just because I'm a white guy, but. I've never looked at it as Singleton standing back and looking at both characters and saying like, hey, guys, you're both kind of wrong. I've always looked mm-hmm. at it as a demonizing that the the well-meaning guy uh, a little bit and siding with Omar Epps. So I'm super interested to hear you say that that's... Yeah, no, I, I never read it that way at all. I felt like it's just kind of like a sad moment between two guys yeah. where they're both going to make a decision that is not to their benefit. Right. Because I think... Um, you know, I, I completely 100% agree and understand where Omar Epps is coming from, where I don't feel comfortable around white people right now or maybe right. for a long time. Right. And that's why I'm going to move in with Ice Cube and I'm going to only hang out with my friends who are black. Um, but that's sad. That's that's I mean, like, I understand that. But like just that a person has the life experience leading up Mm -hmm. to that moment to make that decision is very sad. Mm -hmm. So I feel bad for Omar Epps and I feel bad for Jason Wiles, character. And I think that's the, it's the unlearned thing. It's Mm -hmm. like, if we can't make this work, then like, what hope do we have? Yeah, that's interesting. I never, I never had that read on it because I always felt like the movie over directs its, its sad moments, quote unquote, you know, it says, this is the sad moment. This is a sad moment. This is a sad moment. And so I think I missed some of those moments in between. I've seen this movie many times. Okay. <laughs> I've seen, yeah. Like how many times do you think you've seen the movie? Three, maybe I think I've four. Seen it like that times 11. Okay. Wow. Because <laughs> it was on cable a lot. And right. I've written two papers about it. Oh, I wrote, wow. Okay. I wrote a paper oh, about it in high came school. came way more prepared than me. Yeah. I wrote a paper about it in high school. And then I think higher learning is partly responsible for me ever writing about movies. Really? Like for this site because i i probably wouldn't unless i had done it in college i took a writing analytically class and like part of it was we could write about movies and television and i used higher learning was my second paper that i wrote about movies and it was about um student athletes and i compare i used higher learning and school ties as my two movies that i was basing it off of and kind of like student athletes being kind of commodities and things like that and um Unless I had done that, I don't think that I would be I, I would have felt the initial comfort to write for F this movie. So um higher learning has just been something that I've really kind of picked apart more than most movies. And that's I think one of the reasons why it kind of means so much to me. Is this your favorite singleton or one of your favorite singletons? It's my favorite. Okay. Um there's certain movies of his that I recognize as great, like Boys in the Hood, but I haven't seen more than maybe two or three times. It's hard to watch. It's a man. very. I mean, not a, that higher learning is like a happy experience. Yeah, but. I don't know. In a weird way, like higher learning seems almost like a cakewalk to watch compared to mm-hmm. Boys in the Hood. Um, and I don't know if this makes sense, but I feel like at least with higher learning, it reflects my experience a little bit more, so I don't feel sure. like a fraud. Sure. Not that like. I should feel like a fraud watching Boys in the Hood, but I feel like I'll never get it exactly right, like right. the way that it's intended for a uh, African American audience, which is, you know, how it should be. But um but yeah, I, I, I think higher learning is my favorite, but there's um yeah, Boys in the Hood's great. Poetic Justice I've only seen a couple times, but I really liked it the last time I saw it. I'm not a big shaft fan. 
I was disappointed by Shaft. I like Jeffrey Wright in it, but that's about it. Yeah, I, I think it does some things right, and it's watchable. Yeah. But I remember being kind of disappointed by it. Yeah. Um, I thought the idea of John Singleton remaking Shaft was really interesting, and I guess I thought he was going to go in a little harder on kind of a certain black exploitation vibe and yeah. he doesn't really and the character doesn't really manage to mm-hmm. shaft doesn't amount to much you know it's like it's a totally fine saturday afternoon movie but yeah i remember yeah. being let down by it too yeah. it will always hold a special place in my heart though because it was erica's first dvd oh nice yeah very cool it's from this summer where she suddenly was in love with action movies good yeah it's a good summer then yeah um baby boy i i've only seen it once I kind of like Baby Boy because I expected one thing and I got another thing because okay. I was expecting it to be the return to Boys in the Hood. Right. But it's a movie with a real case of the fuck arounds. Like there's a lot of just goofy shit in okay. Baby Boy. And I like it um, when it's trying to be kind of more like how immature is Tyrese in this movie? Like that right. kind of thing right. than when it gets like serious about Snoop and things like that. Um too Fast, Too Furious, I've grown to really yeah. love. I Hell really yeah. love it. Um, and the story about how Singleton got Too Fast, Too Furious is really funny. I don't know the story. So he was in he was in like one of those meetings that you hear about where like a director just goes in just to sit down and chat, and it wasn't even about anything. And then they needed a director for Too Fast, Too Furious, and they're just like, do you want to do it? And he's like, I don't know. He's like, the first one was, for me was kind of a joke, and they're just like, well, what? They're like, just off the top of your head, like, if you did Too Fast, Too Furious, what would you want to do with it? So he's like, I don't know. Um, I would have a car jump over another car. (laughs) I would have Paul Walker not be such a pretty boy. I would dirty him up and make him Steve McQueen. And I would have it – I forgot what the other thing that he said was. And he's he's like, oh, yeah, and then – um, I would make the street racing more like the street racing that I grew up with right. in South Central Los Angeles right. and not like this weird thing that they did in the Rob Cohen movie. And they're just like, oh, okay, cool. They're like, well, we got to send you to your next meeting. And then he goes into another room and then he didn't even realize that he had just been hired and he was <laughs> in a production meeting. <laughs> that is amazing. So, yeah. So I, like, I always thought his pitch was like, what if we made it really stupid? <laughs> Which I'm like, good yeah, with. Oh, yeah. for sure. I'm very good with that. If yeah. you think about where the series eventually would go, yeah. Too Fast, Too Furious, a lot of that DNA yeah. like comes in later on. Yeah. Uh, no, that movie is so entertaining. It's very, very rewatchable yes. and very fun. Yes. Um, and uh, I like Four Brothers a real lot. I need to rewatch it because I was very entertained by it. Again, yeah. it's such a Saturday afternoon TNT movie. Yeah. But I, I, I struggle to get past the Mark Wahlberg performance. He's pretty ridiculous. But I like Chiwetel Ejiofor. As I got the rock guy. now. Oh, oh God, I forgot about. I, I got, got the, the rock, rock now, bro. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's good stuff. <laughs> Good stuff. But again, I like that Singleton was making those movies at a certain point that he was just yeah. like, yeah, I'll make fucking weird genre movies. For sure. Yeah. Yeah. It's good stuff. I'm, uh, I miss that he, after abduction, he just kind of went to the television route. I know he did a show for BET and I think he did another show. Um, he did a couple episodes of the people versus OJ. Um, oh, I forgot about he directed that. those. Yeah. But uh, the one that I'm really bummed he didn't get to do is he was originally supposed to uh, have his own version of the Tupac biopic. 
And he said that he was going to make it, you know, where people are going to be really happy with it, but they were also going to be really pissed off at him because he was going to say certain things right, that right. weren't, you know, I, I can't pronounce the word, but basically like hero worship. It's like hagiography. Okay. What's the, yeah. So yeah. it's like hero worship. Yeah. Um, because he wanted to show like, how does a man go from wanting to be a leader and inspire people through music to becoming like adopting the Machiavelli persona right and i would have loved to see that movie all eyes on me like is only watch it's barely watchable but the only reason why it's any good is because of the lead actor i still haven't seen it yeah you're not really missing a whole lot i know it shows up on hbo or one of the cable channels it shows up on sometimes but i haven't yeah so it's 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 a bummer that he didn't get to to make that movie um but uh i mean it's even more of a bummer that like a guy that a lot of people seem to really like as a friend and had a lot of just kind of regular guy interests and just was pretty zen about certain things and um i, I don't know yeah i'm i'm just going to i'm i'm going to miss him it's like one of those things where uh i have a, i have trouble like kind of realizing that somebody's passed on when it comes to their movies um sometimes it's I don't know because I've watched certain things with him like interviews and I forget immediately that he had just recently died so right and I think the reason for that is because my relationship to him is never it didn't change so of course I'm gonna feel kind of the same way but um yeah yeah I mean like I think uh you know the fact when five years down the road and you're just like where's the next John Singleton movie and there's not going to be one that's kind of where it hits yeah so it's a bummer yeah yeah Higher learning. If the if they had like mall movie Oscars, this would have won Best Picture that year. <laughs> is the Blu-ray out yet, or is it coming out? I think it's out, okay. but it's very bare bones. It's like a Mill Creek one, isn't it? It's Sony, I think. Oh, it is it. Sony. Okay, yeah. But like for whatever reason, Poetic Justice has some has some bonus features on it, and the Higher Learning one, it's like twenty two bucks, and it just has a commentary. So I haven't been able to justify that because I've got a four disc. Of like Baby Boy, Poetic okay. Justice, Boys in the Hood, and Higher Learning. All the so. Sony titles. All the Sony ones. Yeah. I'll hang on to my DVD because it has the commentary and he says, you know what I mean, quite a bit. There you go. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. Th- this is also, I don't know if you had this when you were growing up, but like I liked Higher Learning because it was a movie like um, a lot of the Warner Brothers movies in the early 90s where they were rated R and they were kind of grown up, but I was watching them like a little too young and it made me feel kind of grown up because I was considering things that i probably didn't need to at that point in my life so i don't know if it made me kind of um it definitely made me a more curious moviegoer by watching r-rated dramas at that stage yeah mine were probably a little earlier yeah like early 90s as opposed to mid 90s but yeah i definitely had those experiences i know when i saw higher learning like when i was in high school i had this script that i wanted to write set at a college that would sort of focus on different characters attending the college and, mm. and would bring them all together in certain ways. And, uh, and then I saw higher learning and I was like, well, that's that movie. I didn't, I wasn't like wanting to deal with race and sexual assault and all that yeah. heavy stuff. Um, but yeah, higher learning was that movie in so many ways. So that was part of why I was so excited to see it was like, it was this movie that I had dreamed about, mm-hmm. um, and uh, again, I think it's such an int- it's such a 
it's such a third movie. It's such a 25 year old movie. (laughs) Like all of it makes sense. And it's amazing to me that he's making his third movie by age 25. You know, I feel like he's so well remembered for boys in the hood and people kind of forget this long filmography that comes afterwards because at a certain point his movies are no longer important. Yeah. I mean, like I think that whole, a lot of people thought that he just peaked like with his right, first movie right. and then they took for granted the rest of his filmography. Right. So. That he was trying to recapture that magic with his other message movies. And then when he couldn't, he just became, you know, director for hire, yeah. um, making these kind of generic action movies. But, uh, he made good action movies, you know, yeah, they were very idiosyncratic. Yeah. Like they weren't, I, I, I haven't heard good things about abduction, but at least, Shaft has some weird shit in it, and yeah. Four Brothers and Too Fast, Too Furious. I mean, like Too Fast, Too Furious is thing. insane. It's, it's wonderful, <laughs> but it has aged better than I think even some of the best Fast and Furious movies. Yeah, it's got the good Tej in it, where he's not like a hacker on a right. USA, you know, NCIS show. <laughs> he just owned a garage and like had a lot of parties and souped up cars. That's Tej. And Paul Walker in that movie almost seems like he just accidentally walked onto a film set. <laughs> he's just, he's just, and he's just so happy to be there. Paul, yeah. What's going on? Yeah, we're in Miami. Oh, that's great, bro. Yeah. Put my brain in a dinosaur. No. Yeah. <laughs> I can't wait to watch that movie. I'm so excited. Um, I got two questions I wanted to ask you before we wrap up. Right, I have up. two questions for you. I'll ask first. All right. What is high? <laughs> what is higher? <laughs> Give up a minute. <laughs> All right, sorry. Go ahead. Okay. Um. So this is for you and for our audience because I I was talking to Mark about this on Saturday, and I don't know if this is something that really happened or if I dreamt it. <laughs> there was one time I remember where Christy Swanson was on like a reality TV type show or like Entertainment Tonight or something like that, and she was getting married to that figure skater guy. And she was in a wedding dress and they showed like footage from her wedding and she fell down a spiraling staircase. But and everybody was like, oh, my God. And then she stood up and it was her stunt double and it was supposed to be like a big laugh. And I don't know if I dreamt it or if it really happened. So if anybody remembers that, I have never found it again on the Internet. But if anybody remembers that, please let me know because I don't know if it's real. I know she married a figure skater. Yeah. She was on that reality show. Yeah. Um, wow. Yeah. And if that is true, what a weird sense of humor. (laughs) Well, here's a bummer. Like, I I pull up Christy Swanson clips on YouTube and, like, the very first one is her with Tucker Carlson. Yeah. Laying into somebody. Uh, Yeah. All right. So this sounds like it might have been a dream. Okay. All right. And then the second question is, um, I wanted to see, in the spirit of the draft day game, um... I want to see if Higher Learning is the best college movie of the 90s. Okay. I want to come back to this because okay. there's something from called Baby Center from 2009. <laughs> Anyone see Christy Swanson fall down the stairs at her wedding? Yes. <laughs> if that was staged or a joke, I do not see what makes it funny. This is incredible. That link looks real. What link? See original post. I guess she is from. E.T. had as a teaser on their website. It is so horrific. She falls down the whole winding staircase in somersaults all the way down with E.T. covering your wedding. This sounds like it really happened. Oh, my God. (laughs) 
All right. This Ask is- the second question again because I was so wrapped up in the Chris No, I'm glad that we Swanson have this resolution Gate. to this. Okay. <laughs> Swanson Gate. All right. So is Higher Learning the best college movie of the 90s? Oh, what are the others? PCU. PCU. With honors. Hold on. Wait, we oh, got to go better or worse than Higher Learning. Oh, oh I yeah, okay. this is a draft okay. day game. Okay. Yeah. All right. Uh, PCU. Higher Learning. Is it better or worse? Better. Yeah, I think so too. Dead Man on Campus. Well, listen. To you. Listen to who you're asking. <laughs> yeah, I know. Uh, it, which one am I going to watch, or which one's better? Draft day rules. Gut impression. I'm watching Dead Man on Campus. Okay, I'm going Higher Learning. Rudy, Higher Learning. Never seen Rudy. Okay, all right. Um, That's the program. I saw the program. Also stars Omar Epps, Christy yeah. Swanson, and Andrew Bernarski. Yeah, holy cow. Busta Rhymes and Tyra Banks were also in Halloween H2O. <laughs> yeah, they were. Yeah. That I put together, but I forgot about the program reunion. Um, I don't remember the program except people laid down in the street yeah. and cars drove by and then it caused like a problem. I remember that Craig Sheffer's quarterback was named Kane and people had signs that said Kane is able. Wow. <laughs> that was wow. something that was in a movie. Um, okay. Scream 2. I'll go Scream 2. Uh, I mean, I'm going to watch Scream 2 over Higher Learning. Um, Urban Legend. Um, I'll watch Higher Learning. I'll watch Higher Learning. Although Urban Legend has gotten better over the years for me. I have not revisited it. I was waiting for the Scream Factory Blu-ray and I haven't picked it up. Necessary Roughness. That's a college movie. Yeah. I'm probably watching Necessary Roughness for Bacula, but Higher Learning is a better movie. I'm going to go Higher Learning. Yeah. Um... School ties, I'll go higher learning. Yeah, I'm not a big school ties guy, and yeah. they they're so similar in their earnestness yeah. and their attempts to deal with certain things. I'll go higher learning. The sixth man, higher learning, higher learning. I still know what you did last summer. Higher learning, higher learning. Okay, that's it. Uh, Flubber. Wow. That's Flubber. it for college movies yeah. in the '90s. Yeah, they they threw some high school. What movies about with in honors? Here. Oh, they're missing that. I mean, come on. Oddly enough, they're the at song, Harvard. The, the Joe is a homeless guy. The song is called "I Remember," but Google forgot. <laughs> <laughs> uh, from IMDb, February two thousand nine. Yeah, prankster Christy Swanson stunned guests <laughs> at her wedding ceremony on Saturday when she asked her longtime movie stunt double to take a fall for her. Yes. The original Buffy the Vampire Slayer added drama to her big day after persuading Heather Burton Gibson to don a white gown and veil and tumble down a flight of stairs as wedding guests waiting at the bottom gasped in shock. The actress says, I just thought, well, I'll ask her. And I go, will you fall down the stairs for me? And she said, hell yeah, I'll do it. That's a quote that they put into a news article. Yeah. And then it keeps going. But yeah. uh all but right. this is a thing that happened. I can't find the uh, link to the video from Entertainment Tonight. This is so weird. But it does exist. Did you do anything like that at your wedding? Did I hire Christy Swanson's stunt double to fall down the stairs? You bet your ass I did. Oh, man. <laughs> Wish I knew you guys back then. <laughs> yeah. She was the only star of the original Buffy I could get. I kept going out to Arquette, and he was busy. Okay. 
You could have gone to the frat douche who was also in Buffy and the the Vampire Slayer. Yeah, he was. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I forget the guy's name, but yeah, he absolutely. I had, uh, I had frat douche PTSD when I was I was going to say it's this. Randall Battenkoff, but it's not Randall Battenkoff, right? Mm-hmm. No. I don't think it is. I don't think so. Uh, I tried to get Affleck. Affleck was busy. Sasha, Sasha Jensen's eyebrows couldn't commit. So it was a whole thing. All I could get was Christy Swanson's stunt double, <laughs> which worked out because yeah. I wanted Sasha Jensen's eyebrows to fall down the stairs <laughs> i don't know if he was gonna do it so they probably like would have walked away like an evil dead hand <laughs> and then strangled you i asked cole hauser if he wanted to do it for yeah. me and then he was just like won't well, we both go bro and then he like threw me <laughs> yeah. at the same time he's terrifying there's by the way cole hauser the weird thing about him always an american flag behind him always wherever <laughs> he goes super weird yeah uh he's even scarier in what's paparazzi. his name in, what i was just about to say what's his name in paparazzi Bo something Bo laramie yeah that sounds Bo right. laramie god yeah. paparazzi yeah. is a fucking movie <laughs> that could be like one of our christmas episodes <laughs> i do not dislike that idea <laughs> <laughs> we already had one picked out for this year yeah, though yeah. and i'm very excited about it it's okay. a 20 year anniversary oh well then we gotta do it for yeah. sure mm-hmm. yeah um yeah <laughs> All right. Anything else about higher learning? No, no. Um, just uh, thank you for your films, Mr. Singleton, and uh, we'll miss you. Thanks for listening to FS Movie.